Joel Confino. Hey, say some things for me, Joel. Happy New Year. Happy 2014. What? I don't think that's correct. <laughs> I'm not ready for Happy New Year. You are? Um, I'm waking up to it. <laughs> okay. That's my favorite line yet. Are you? Yeah, I'm waking up to it. Oh, okay. So am I, Joel. So am I. Um, I could use a Starbucks coffee. I dig in one of those mugs where every day of the week in January, every you can get like free refills. See, now I like that. That, yeah, that, that was that a nice like. gift. It was such a nice gift that I actually got three of them. You got three? You have different people. They didn't know what to get me, so they all independently came upon the idea that see, I drink too much coffee. So. They, they know you're working on a startup, therefore <laughs> yeah. you will never see the light of day. <laughs> hey, on that, Cherry Developer News, episode number 74, uh, for Monday, January 6th, <laughs> 2014. I'm Ken Rimple. And I'm Joel Confino. So, Joel, uh, before we even get started, I'm going to put you completely on the spot. Um, we're both going to be on the spot for this one, but let's recap a little bit about what happened in 2013. Let's think about this for a second. So, technology-wise, you take 2012, we were done with 2012, we went into 2013, um, we take a full year. What were some of the things that really blew up this year and got big? I think JavaScript was a huge thing this year. Yeah, I was going to have to say. I mean, it's not like it hasn't been around, but, you know, JavaScript's the new Ruby. And so, uh, you know. <laughs> You said that earlier today. I'm like, it makes no sense. I, I didn't want to be in that camp, but I am. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. Like um, JavaScript frameworks, JavaScript on the server side with Node and the VMs, uh, even Java running JavaScript with things like uh, Vertex, yeah. which has the ability to run. It's a Java runtime, but you can run your stuff in, in JavaScript. In all, in all sorts of things, actually. Yeah. yeah. And JavaScript is just one of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, when you start seeing build tools like, you know, Grunt. Yeah, when we, we did a talk internally about a month ago, talking about Angular JS and things like that at our Chariot Day thing, and everyone was just looking at it going, why, why, why? I thought of JavaScript was an interpreted language. You know, people who weren't familiar with this, and um, now it's it's in the enterprise, right? I mean, yeah. you've got you know with Node, for example, you got to build. Right, so you've got to have some sort of continuous integration. You've got to have some sort of packaging, distribution, tooling. You know, it's it's become enterprising. Yeah, that's true. So that's one thing. I think uh, it seemed to be the year of Hadoop too, didn't it? I mean, there was a lot of push around big data. Definitely big data and and Hadoop. I'm not sure again if it's. I think it's kind of like the year before the the hype storm or something like You're that. Right, like, right. Like I think maybe people were getting smart on it. It's not like tons of people haven't been doing it. They have, but I think yeah. a lot of people, more people were talking about it that I knew than actually doing it. I don't know if this will be the year when they really do it. Yeah, it seemed like it. I mean, I know we spent a lot of time in things like that data IO conference talking about various data tools, the big data world. Mm-hmm. And it almost seemed like big data got baked so heavily that it starts to uh, leach stuff into the environment. Now, yes. You know, it's <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, there's a big data hangover, like, okay, we can all do stuff with these tools, but what's the data we're using? Yeah. You know, so people are starting asking the bigger questions. Maybe we're kind of over that big initial roller coaster curve going down the, oh God, now what do we really do with this now that we've got it kind yes. of world? So, yeah, that's definitely another one. Um, it seems like th- this whole small device hackery thing is another one. You know, sure. Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and everything. You know, we had at least a couple talks where people brought in Raspberry Pis to show off. And Certainly big around Chariot, where like every day it gets a little bit more extremely crazy around here. <laughs> people are bringing in maker bots and they're, they're attaching robots to the walls. Right. Like it's, um, you know, somebody's going to build a droid. It's just coming down to that. Right. Now, I guess for 2014, we cannot possibly predict the future. Um, not that well, anyway. No, I certainly can't. But uh, 
you know, I'm thinking, oh, my screen time down here. Nothing like that for a podcast. Um, but, you know, there are some things on the horizon. I'm wearing this little Pebble watch, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the industry thinks that there should be a digital watch revolution. Yes. Do we really need? I mean, I don't think we do. I, I You know what? I've resisted these other devices before, though, and now I have, like, three iPads. But, like... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was like... But, you know, the watch thing, I'm with you. Like, I don't really like watches. It's something you have to, like, wear... It's a fetishing thing. Yeah, you have to like want to have sweaty. It on there. It's uh, yeah. So, Uh-oh. but <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I'm noticing. It. It's like you know, remember to breathe in and out. You know that whole thing. But, now I'm noticing that I've got a sweaty but, wrist. But there was a blogger who recently said that Google Glass is dead. I mean, that's just his opinion, and yeah. he has Google Glass because he thinks that the iWatch and all that other stuff is going to be a little bit more fully baked. So his opinion was that. Google Glass wasn't fully baked for uh, you know consumers for prime time. Right. I think Google Glass supposedly goes on sale this year. But it could be the year of wearable computers. We're going to wear them somewhere. I think you're probably right. I think that there's going to be an, so much small computing computing in the, in the tiny uh, you know like in a, in a sweater, you know. <laughs> it's a little warm, why don't you take me off, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, I was thinking like, you know, there's coffee machines, right? You know, I'm done brewing. Well, I could figure that out because I'm so in need of coffee. I'm gonna, <laughs> thank you. Coffee's done. Um, I'm in so need of staring at it going, when yeah. is it done? Right? Yeah. That's different than wearable computing, though. I, you know. It could be anything. Well, I was listening to, um, what was it? It was uh, MacBreak Weekly, and they were talking about um, Sonos. Have you ever heard of the Sonos uh, audio hardware? This stuff is incredible. Yeah. So Sonos makes, uh, I think it's Sonos. They make a, a little audio bar that connects to your TV and it has an optical input and all that. Mm-hmm. But it also connects to your internet connection. So it connects to your, your internal you mm-hmm. know, TCP IP network. And you can have it route music from place to place. Hmm. And your iPhone or your, your um, you know, Android device can basically say, you know, route to this music location. And the location could be just that bar in front of your TV or a Dolby 5 or Dolby 7 setup there. Or you can have another... Um, speaker system in your bathroom or in your bedroom mm-hmm. or your kitchen, and you can route different music at different times to different places. That's cool. It's computers. It's kind of like AirPlay, but like way better. Yeah. I like I do use AirPlay quite a bit, but right. play music, but it's one source to one destination, basically. That would be so cool. So I mean, you're going to yeah. see stuff like that. I think so. You know, it seems like you know because computing is becoming uh, all these different companies are working on people are working on small devices. Mm-hmm. I guess they call it the Internet of Things is the new term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see more and more of that i think i mean i you know carrying a cell phone in your pocket is actually a pain in the neck so i will say yeah. i'd wear the watch if you get rid of the cell phone mm. you want to be dick tracy yes it would be kind of cool to be able to just put the bluetooth headset i mean everybody has like you know that little bluetooth thing in their ear that makes them look like an android yeah so so you just use that that was one word starts with an a i think of <laughs> The other one's uh, Arduino. No, I was um, watching the uh, watching a, the Eagles game with that guy, and he had it on there. And every time he talked, are you like talking to me or to somebody on the phone? Because I don't want to seem <laughs> stupid and Nancy if you actually call your wife. <laughs> right, that's just a personal thing. You are talking to me, right? Yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. It's the year of the ding, too. All right. Well, why don't we get to our development news? So we've got some interesting stuff coming up here. Uh, the first one, we'll get into a little bit of controversy. Um, the state of Python 3. Now, I have no clue. I am not a Python user. I'm merely pointing out an article because I'm. Kind of curious about Python, and um, and one of the watches I was playing with used Python uh, as a development tool, so I decided I would take a look at it. And then I ran into this little article, uh, December 30th, um, Alex Gaynor's Blago blog. Blago blog is a good name. And uh, he posted this thing about Python 3, and he talks about Python 3 and says basically that... Uh, 
Uh, let's see. For the first few years of the Python 3 migration, the common, I'm quoting him here, the common wisdom was that a few open source projects would need to migrate and then the floodgates would open. Uh, and he talked about Django, you know, basically they need a WSGI spec, database drivers, things like that. Um, but that's happened. Uh, Django's been supporting Python 3, but users are not moving to it. Hmm. Which is a really interesting problem. So, um, you know, they are finding that people essentially are not interested in moving to Python 3, which seems to be a big problem in that community, um, mostly because they don't have to. There was a lot of stuff, as he's putting, pointing out in the article, where they put out Python 2 versions of the same libraries at the same time. Hmm. Think, think of this as like, you know, when Java developers were on 1.4, and, you know, there was the 1.4 and the, and the 5.0 a schism there where people were going to annotation driven and for a little bit of time the development community was putting out like the non-annotation and the annotation version yes, of the same thing right but think of that happening on the large of python 3 versus python 2 hmm. so it's an interesting little thing um some of the things he recommends he has a, a a thing at the bottom of his article where he says here's an idea let's release a python 2.8 which backports every new feature from python 3 uh, and so that's his idea is, you know what, fine, people don't want to go to a thing called Python 3, just upgrade Python 2.8 to support the features of Python 3. And then they don't have to move the language itself, they just move the libraries up. Yeah, that's interesting because usually, you know, people want to be, especially your programmers want to be on the latest and greatest. So, you know, I mean, not everybody, but there's certainly more that, you know, who wants to use the old thing, you always want to use the new thing. Right, right. So I'm surprised that that actually hasn't drug people i mean the people who don't want to use the new thing are usually the people who have to support it if it goes down you know so there's some drive to stability but as a whole community you would think new stuff would be written in in, in python 3 you would think so yeah it's interesting so you can't force people to move no you know and uh why switch to an entirely brand new uh language version uh just to move things forward but uh, interesting. Anyway, so take a look at that. If you're a Python developer, tell us what you think. Um, you can go back to chariotsolutions.com slash devnews and pick out this devnews74 and add to the comments. We'd like to hear from you. All right. Um, so this is a complete uh, segue, a bad segue I had in here. Speaking of command line users, <laughs> how was I speaking? Uh, so... We found uh, this email. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy that emails a lot of kind of helpful hints to us. Um, uh, <coughs> and he sent up one uh, that actually Dave Fikak, who's a local, uh, I guess, recruiter and tech person, uh, found called explainshell.com. I never saw this before, but if you go to explainshell.com, this is, this is the bee's knees. So they show some examples. And for example, one's like, you know, so what is tar ZCF dash? some directory pipe to SSH, some server, whatever do, and you click on it, and it actually takes it and does a big railroad diagram of every little step in the command line and says all of the features from the man pages from those command tools and what they're doing. Okay, that is awesome. It's really, now, I'm going to really try cool. to make up some weird crap and see what it does. Yeah, well, there, there, there's a couple in there, for example. So you, you try another one like, uh, for example, um, let's see, git log graph abrev commit pretty online. So you look at that, and you basically can move your mouse over each piece of the railroad diagram, and it grays out the rest of them and highlights the one you're interested in. Gosh, this is like the missing manual to Unix. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So explainshell.com. And then I was looking around in the same place and found, you know, regular expressions, they are my enemy, right? I just went through and migrated the website, and all the old URLs were so close to the new ones that you should see the convoluted um, regex as I'm doing in the Apache redirect rules just to keep things bro unbroken. Mm -hmm. um, movie. Uh, but if you go to debugex, debug, debug 
So debug regular expression, I suppose. But D-E-B-U-G-G-E-X dot com. This will let you test regular expressions and show uh, graphically what's going on with them. Oh, wait, I got to definitely plug. Um, you got one? Yeah, uh, Lincoln Baxter's OPC Soft. Um, his regular expression tester has usually been one of my favorites. Uh-huh. So, so I'll have to go head-to-head comparison here. So, so if I do slash foo slash uh, and then uh, – Let's see here. Where is it on here? Now I can't find it. And you can pick, by the way, JavaScript or Python or PCRE, uh, which is kind of cool. <coughs> and and then you could do uh, foo blah, 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 in here. Let's see. Uh, and, and you're able to see whether or not a regular expression is actually matched. And you could do matchers with parentheses, and it'll say this is position one, this is position two, this is position three. So another really cool thing. And also, they have a nice little uh, link on there. First, you can share your, your regex, and also there's a code snippet. So you can click code snippet, and it actually puts together the ability to run that in your code. And I guess the language you pick is what it's going to do it in. So let me see, Python, code snippet. Yep, that's exactly what it does. So, for example, you have a regex that works. Mm-hmm. You put it in the language you say, Python or JavaScript or PCRE. And then when you click on the ch- code snippet, it spits it out. That is pretty neat. Really, really neat site. So, anyway, so those are two little tools. Uh, it's again explainshell.com and debuggex.com. And also, uh, Joel is po- typing furiously into this <laughs> visual regex, which is one of the ones that, uh, as you said, Lincoln Baxter, uh, who's a person uh, at Red Hat, uh, uses. Or actually developed, I think. I think he made it. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Hey, so let's. We mentioned JavaScript. There's a there's a, a vague uh, segue in here. Uh, <laughs> so JavaScript uh, developers, um, if you're just getting a leg up on Node.js and you want to learn how to test it, um, there's a testing tool called Mocha out there. Um, Mocha is a test runner. There's also one uh, that the Angular folks use that is called Karma. That's the name of that one. Both of these run as Node package modules (NPMs). Uh, so if you install the Node uh, program you type npm install uh you can say npm install like minus g for globally mocha uh, and then it'll let you run the mocha runner and it will run tests also there's a tool called chai which is an api to do expressions in your tests to say when this happens then this should be the result you know kind of your matchers technology mm-hmm. so someone wrote a really nice uh, tutorial on toots plus um called uh testing in node.js it's Gabriel Manrix. Uh, I did it on January 3rd. Uh, and he has the source code. It's nice. The source code is sitting on GitHub, downloadable, so you can play with it. Um, and so he goes through a nice tutorial here. Um, and what he's doing instead of, uh, he, he was normally using Jasmine. And it looks like here he's just using, uh, uh, in his discussion, he's using Mocha to run it and assertions in Chai. So it's a nice little step by step. You install Mocha as a tool in your environment. You install the Chai API for your project. They give you a little sample project to play with. They talk about how to do test-driven development with Mocha, so you can kind of run it and watch for things to change. Um, and then you've got the Chai matchers, so you can say things like expect something equal some value. Uh, or you can say to or be or bin or is or um, same, you know, that kind of thing, all sorts of different matchers. Uh, and so it's a nice little uh, overall overview I'm actually working on something similar, um, a, a tutorial series around JavaScript development tools as well on the Chariot blog. Um, not on testing yet, but if we go to chariotsolutions.com slash blog, 
uh, you'll see I'm actually putting together some modern JavaScript development tool documentation. Um, so you'll see there's like three articles there now. First, it's just an introduction. Uh, and then there's one on how to use NPM in general. So how do you use the Node Package Manager to install features? Uh, and then we talk about Bower, um, which is kind of a, a browser dependency manager for installing things like Backbone and uh, you know different JavaScript libraries like jQuery and how do I download them and keep them up to date in my development environment. Um, and then the next one on deck is things like uh, Grunt.js for builds and con configuration, running integration tests, and running servers. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now, kind oh, of in a awesome. similar vein. Yeah, yeah. i got to check those out. So, <laughs> hey, another beep. Um, so that's cool. So anyway, testing in Node.js with Mocha and Chai. Again, our show notes are at chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, and you can go ahead and grab the web link from there. Let's see. Joel, how about a Chromebook for under 300 bucks? Really? Yeah. That's actually really cheap. That's so much cheaper than even like an iPad. It's it's like a knee jerk going, you know what? I could almost see when I get a little extra cash, like going for it, maybe, um, because I'm just sad that way. <laughs> but in uh, TechCrunch just announced that uh, at CES in February, February wow. 16th to be exact, Toshiba, which used to make, in my opinion, some of the best mini computer hardware they did. ever. And I've, I've fallen off of that wagon to go to the Macintosh, so I don't really care. But... They unveiled a 13.3-inch wow. displayed one for 200 and something, 279. That's insane. That would be for like something that just you know you kind of use for browsing and email and stuff. Nine hours battery life. Wow. 16 gigs of uh, storage in SSD. Two gigs of RAM, which is plenty good for surfing. Uh, also dual band uh, Wi-Fi. And so think about it. And I got Wi-Fi on a Chromebook, right? I go to a conference. It goes down. I'm screwed. No. Um, <laughs> but but actually, the Chrome Google Docs works offline. But you can save the money you spend on the Chromebook, and you can buy yourself your own little hotspot to bring to the conference. <laughs> so you can I, I do love how the styling like absolutely tries to rip off the uh, the MacBook Air, but no. but the pricing is really it's I mean a Battleship Gray Silver Monster. <laughs> it even has like it doesn't really have the same profile, but it has sort of an implied like slimline profile on the side. The side shot's really funny. I remember when I was uh, twelve. No, when I was uh, in my late twenties and had little tiny baby kids, I had this little teeny Toshiba. I want to call it the Portage. Does that sound right? It was maybe a nine-inch computer. Hmm. At the time, they put little tiny micro drive in it for the hard drive. Mm -hmm. It had a little tiny keyboard, but it was just big enough to almost touch type two. I loved that thing. Ran Windows 98. I was cool. <laughs> um, this is amazing because you can think about all the stuff you can do in this. Yeah. You could root it, certainly, and put Linux on it if you wanted to. Definitely. What so, does it come with? Well, Chromebook, you can... Chrome OS. But you can just... Um, you could, yeah, like you said, you put Ubuntu on there if you wanted... Um, What's the advantages of the Chrome OS, though? Is there anything that's... No. None? Cheap. Yeah. They own it. Therefore, that doesn't cost them anything to license. So I think that's the main thing. Yeah. And if you're mostly doing browsing and editing on Google sure. Docs, that's Works all you need. fine. Yeah. yeah. So this might be something nice to give, like, a grandparent. Yeah. Or your kids or whatever. Well, it depends on what they want to do. That might not be... Yeah, you don't want to open up the web to them, right? Yeah. Let me tell you, don't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so check that out. That's um, on TechCrunch. We'll put the link uh, on the show notes. And that is the Chromebook 13-inch... Um, Toshiba Chromebook. Haswell chip, nine-hour battery life. Wow. 
Um, man, that is that cool. That's a crazy price point. It is. It's just the thing you can make any sense. I would really take that to a, seriously. I would take that to a conference. Sure. Where you don't get too distracted. Right. And if you drop it and it falls on the steps, well, it was like 280. 280. Yeah. And everything's online. So who the hell cares? It looks like it actually has, I'm looking here. It looks like it has an HDMI port right there on the side. Nice. Nice presentations with uh, Reveal. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, run Reveal's, Reveal JS uh, yeah. slides on it. All right, cool. You just use your uh, JS bin for coding your JavaScript. It's all on the web anyway. So There you are. All right. So speaking of nothing related to this, uh, you've used GitHub for your projects maybe. Yes. Uh, but have you ever really paid any major attention to GitHub pages? No, not really. I, I did a little, only enough because I, I was doing some stuff with my uh, Rue in action book. Uh, I was doing all the samples there, and I wanted to put some documentation online. So it said you can use GH Pages and you know check out that branch and put documentation in it and serve it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but this is someone. This is Anna Debenham, uh, and Anna did a talk about uh, learning how to use GitHub Pages to host site. Um, she has a website actually out there, uh, Christmas rec- Recipes. So it's Maban M A B A N dot GitHub dot I O slash Christmas dash Recipes. It's nice looking, you know, it's content, pretty cool. Um, but she did this in um, GitHub and just uploaded it in GitHub. So she's serving a free website off of her GitHub IO page. Kind of cool. Um, now, the thing is, I mean, most of us as developers, we're going to go for something more sophisticated. Uh, but if you have a project and you want to put some decent documentation on the project, this is some way you can go. So she gets into basically talking about how to use it, which one way is to basically enable the uh, GitHub pages on your site, which I don't know that you even need to do anything technical to do that. What you do is you create a orphan branch on your project called gh-pages. So you'll do git checkout dash dash orphan gh-pages. And that basically detaches it from the rest of your project so you don't ever merge it back in again. It's its own little branch. Hmm. And put all your documentation there. So when you check that out, your files go away and you see your HTML files instead. And when you check out master, they go away and you see your files instead. Um, and then, uh, you know, if it's just the only branch, you can make it the default branch and just work there and just have a documentation site. Then she gets into something interesting. I haven't really seen this tool before. Um, you know, this is mostly static hosting. Okay. Uh, but they also support um, you publishing things into them. And there's a tool called Jekyll, apparently, which lets you use things like templates you know, headers, footers, menu bars, things like that, as well as markdown and things like that. And it will generate an HTML site for you. Hmm. So it's 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 a Ruby gem, uh, gem install Jekyll, J-E-K-Y-L-L. Uh, and then she goes through a nice little tutorial on how she set up everything. She set up uh, markdown using the red carpet um, API, um, some other things as well. And then uh, she showed you how to set up the content. Uh, point to where the different pieces show up in the templates using Markdown for the template content. Uh, and then she shows you how to publish it. So a really nice tutorial. It's on a website called 24ways.org. Uh, and again, her name is Anna Devenham. And again, we'll have that on chariotsolutions.com slash devnews. All right. Uh, one more thing here. Uh, Ubuntu now comes with Nginx as well as Apache. Talk to me. Yeah, so this is important if you're... Um you know, for Hado, we use uh, Nginx, really nice, small, lightweight, super cool uh, web server. And uh, because Ubuntu now includes this, um, you know, in their main uh, package, you're going to get all the security updates and support right from them, which is really nice. So uh, you've got 
coming with Ubuntu, Nginx, and Apache as like fully supported choices, and um, they'll be in their long term, um, you know, releases. So they'll get this support. So it's uh, it's really nice, and it's a nice little boost to Nginx. And I, you know, think it's a great little web server after seeing all the different incarnations of web servers, you know, from Netscape to on <laughs> you know, Netscape. Yeah. I think that enterprise uh, server and all that stuff. Nginx really fast and really lightweight. So is that why you like it? Is it, is it in terms of usability or admittability, mm-hmm. you know, I, I find Apache to be a bit of a bit of voodoo with a lot of config files. Yeah. I mean, I think Nginx is pretty straightforward. It's very, very small. Like it uses almost no memory. You know, it's, it's, just super tiny and lightweight and, and I think um, much more performant than Apache, although I don't have the benchmarks to pull out off the top of my head to, to prove that, but mm-hmm. um, I believe it is. Yeah, N-G-I-N-X, if you're curious. If you've seen that before, that's Nginx. And, uh, yeah, that is a new newer web server that's uh, taking over by storm, I would say, in a lot of places. I saw even, you know, we were on WordPress for the site now, but I saw that uh, there are people moving WordPress uh, into Nginx instead of in, into Apache because they're just running PHP. So it's making Nginx run PHP instead of Apache. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting. I have one correction. Uh, it turns out uh, I made a mistake back in Dev News 71, as soon as I can find my corrections here. Um, at one point we were talking about reading tools, and I mentioned Pocket, and I was gushing over Pocket because I really enjoy it as a reading tool. And I mentioned that it was a replacement for Instapaper. Uh, one of our readers uh, chimed in and said, no, that's not correct. Uh, it was a replacement for something else. I believe read it now, and I will double-check his email right now to make sure. One moment. Uh, read it later. There, get it right. So it is a replacement for read it later. Uh, and so that was a new tool. They basically retired the old tool. Now it's it's a, a pocket. And Instapaper didn't go anywhere. It's still out there. So if anyone thinks that I was trying to kill Instapaper, that wasn't my uh, goal. I think I just made a faux pas. So own up to it. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. That was from uh, uh, Mike Wilkes. He uh, emailed us in that information. Thank you, Mike. And you get a ding. What do you know? All right. So uh, anything else? I think that's it, right? I think that's it for all right, Dev well, News 74. Dev News 74. We're back in the new year, and we are serious. So, um, All right, so that's it. So, again, you can get to us from chariotsolutions.com slash devnews. Nice, easy way now. You can also get to us and subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Uh, and all of our show notes are online. Please post in discussion forums. If you would like to tweet something to us, we're at, at TechCast. Um, I'm at K Rimple and Joel. What are you these days? At J Confino. At J Confino. C O N F I N O. Not like Rimple was obvious either. R I M P L E. Because uh, everyone gets that wrong. So that's it. So for the developer news for developer news 74, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. And I'll stop talking now.